Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Darius Velasquez. I am your host of The Melancholy Condition. This is a little personal message from me. I wanted to say thank you to every single one of my listeners. If you are listening to this while you're driving to work, while you're driving to school, if you're at home or if you're sharing it with your partner or your best friend, it means the world to me that you deem my voice and the guests that I bring on to this podcast as valuable as you're deeming them. It really does. I see the views going up and in slightly increasing every single episode that I put out, and it pushes me to keep putting out this podcast. I never know what the information that's held on this podcast, how it benefits people, but you know, as long as you guys are listening and as long as you guys are benefiting from it, that's all that it matters to me. So I wanted to give you a huge shout out and say thank you for supporting this podcast by listening. You can always follow the podcast for any news and updates on Instagram at the Melancholy Condition podcast or on Facebook. There's a Facebook page that is just the Melancholy Condition. If you want to continue to support this podcast even more, here's some things that I have in mind. Eventually, I want to start doing giveaways. I want to start giving away merch, Melancholy Condition shirts, hats, and things of that sort, as well as cash giveaways. If you want $25 cash app, all you have to do is follow me on social media. And here soon, I'm going to be giving out some money just because I feel thankful for everybody that stays on. And if you want to help me continue to do that, if you go to anchor.fm forward slash melancholy condition, there's a button halfway down the page that says support this podcast. This gives you the option to support it with a dollar a month. $5 a month, $10 a month, it's completely up to you. And like I said, what this does is it enables me to give back to the supporters. And that could be you one day. So if this is something that you want to do, just go to anchor.fm forward slash melancholy condition. Click support this podcast and we can get this ball rolling. Once again, thank you guys so much for being here and making it all this way. Here's an ad. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen? How do I make money from podcasts? The answer to every single one of these questions is pretty simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. And that means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. The reason why I love Anchor is just because it's easy. It's simple. It's on my phone. I don't use any exterior hardware. I don't got to do anything really, but just pick up my phone, open the Anchor app, press record, invite my guests, and boom, you have the melancholy condition. So if you want to start your podcast, do so today. Go to anchor.fm. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome everybody back to the Melancholy Condition. I am your host, Darius Velasquez, and I'm sitting here today with Joel Hallbaker. Did I pronounce that correctly, Joel? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Awesome. Well, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, so thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm Joel Hallbaker. I am a, uh, I'm a lot of things, actually. I'm a high school history and Bible teacher down here in Alabama. Uh, I'm also a uh, an author and a professional speaker, and I work a lot with blended families as a, a coach, so divorce and remarriage and fostering and adoption and that sort of thing. Um, and the reason I do all of those things is because those are all things that I'm passionate about. Those are all things that have a direct bearing on who I am and what I do with uh, with my life. 
Um, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm divorced and remarried myself. I have two daughters from my first marriage. They are now 13 and 15 years old. Uh, I've been remarried for about five and a half years. My ex-wife has been remarried for about six years, and she lives about a mile and a half away. Um, and so we uh, we live in a small Alabama town where everybody knows everybody. Um, and so uh, we have a lot of opportunities to interact. And we realized very quickly that in order to raise our children well, we were going to have to make a conscious effort to get along and to cooperate and put our personal issues aside for the sake of our kids. And uh, we didn't always do it great, but there have been a lot more victories than there have been failures. And so I try to share a lot of that experience with other people when I'm doing my blended family work to try to help them avoid some of the mistakes we made and hopefully see a lot more victories a lot sooner than, uh, than what we did. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. So what are, that's a pretty interesting story to know that, like, you know, everybody, regardless of the adversity that you faced, you're still kind of forced to, a lot of times people, you know, will get up and leave, move cities, move states, right. and you guys are right. still in that very close proximity. Um, <laughs> was it hard at first? It absolutely was. Um, if, I, if I'm being honest, the hard part actually started about a year and a half before we divorced uh, when I lost my dad to cancer. Uh, my dad was my hero. He was my role model growing up, and he was diagnosed with stage four, and they gave him about 18 months, and that's about how long he lasted. Uh, so he passed away in June of, uh, or I'm sorry, in July of 2008, uh, and I was divorced about a year and a half later. And the two things aren't directly related, but losing my dad changed who I was. Uh, it yeah, caused me to true. be yeah, it, it caused me to, I mean, I've always, I'd always been an angry person and losing dad made that worse. Uh, it also caused me to, uh, to deal with a lot of issues with depression. I had to, you know, my girls were much younger at the time. They were, um, I think five and three, or actually I think they were like three and one because when we divorced, they were about five and three. And, um, and so it was, it was just a lot of things all at one time. Yeah, um, of course. It's a, that tends to an overcompilation of stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They kind of and, built on each other. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, you know, there's only so much every person can take. Yeah. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was what I found out. I, um, you know, talked with a counselor for a while, uh, went on some depression medication for a while. Uh, those things helped some, but they didn't really help the marriage. Uh, the marriage mm -hmm. was a, it was a separate but related issue. Uh, we had, you know, we had some disagreements. We both made some poor decisions and we both made some hurtful decisions. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, we ended up divorced. And, you know, obviously that didn't help with the depression. That didn't help with the anger. Uh, if anything, yeah. it, it exacerbated that. And one of the ways that I coped was by eating. And so um, I'm only about five foot three. You can't tell because we're, you know, we're talking. You can't see me, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not a very big human being. Um, I'm, I'm very hobbit-like in my stature. And, um, I, I'm, I should weigh about 140 to 150 pounds and following my divorce, I got up to just shy of 200 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Cause I was just eating all the time because I love to eat and it was a great way to cope and ignore the other issues that were bothering me. And, uh, and you, so, you know, you know it's crazy. What's Sorry that? to interrupt you. No, you're good. Actually, Go ahead. I went through something similar like that, mm. um, not necessarily a relationship. And believe it or not, the girlfriend that I'm with right now, despite all of our trials and tribulations and everything that we've been through, the arguments and the distance that gets put between us, 
we she stayed with me like mm. through this crucial time, mm-hmm. which is why like right now, even like even though we do have our arguments, right? We have some we have some arguments that mm-hmm. are like, okay, well, we really need to talk after this one. You know what I'm saying? Right, absolutely. But um the reason why I think I have so much patience now is because she stayed with me during this time. And right. this is whenever I had moved back to my hometown. She had moved back to my hometown as well because of some family issues. Um, and she had moved with her sister. And I had I had a big, a pretty good business going on. And mm-hmm. in Houston, uh, everything flooded. Basically, I moved to, to, with some family to California to try to avoid being with my hometown. Uh, mm-hmm. Some family issues happened with me. I had to move out back to my hometown. I was super depressed about it because it's a small town of, 50,000 or less people everything's real <laughs> brick and mortar shot you know what yep. i mean and, and there's not everything like the business that i had was a marketing agency and i just couldn't get it off the ropes i couldn't get anybody hardly anybody to be willing to spend money on you know what i mean without mm-hmm. on my products without me lowballing myself right and it was hard to get people to see the value in it so i became real real depressed and i started doing something called um I forget what it is, but I think Leonardo da Vinci used to do it. It's basically where you take a nap every four hours, a 30-minute nap, but you mm-hmm. don't sleep. And my, like my, behind it, I was like, okay, well, if I do that, then basically it adds another day of productivity because of how long I'll be awake. And okay. so I'll be able to get more done. And so I'm doing this. I'm not eating. Either I'm eating only like pastries <laughs> like right. danishes and blueberry yep. muffins yep. or like a ton of red bulls and that's all i was doing oh and wow i remember one day we me and my girlfriend were laying down and she's like trying to be supportive seeing me she's watching me fail go down a deep rabbit hole i've gained probably like 15 to 20 pounds because i was about 138 whenever mm-hmm. like right now i'm about 138 um at my fittest you know some lean muscle and I, then I had like a gut and I weighed about 155. Yep. And what really kicked me into gear was one day we were laying down. It was the middle of summer and I felt my stomach unstick from her back. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't, I can't, you know what I mean? And that, that, and then like, like I said, we've had our moments where she's been stern on me. It's been tough love. And, you know, she really basically just said, get your shit together. Like, yeah, even though that's not what I needed at that point in time but i didn't want to lose her it it, right. it was what i needed but it wasn't what i needed you know what i mean because my mindset Absolutely. i needed somebody to be there for me but at the same time in hindsight like that kick in the ass was right around the corner and i needed it eventually mm-hmm. maybe not in the way that it was delivered but eventually i was going <laughs> to need somebody to tell me like dude you need to start sleeping you need to start taking care of your body and you need to lose that gut that's around your waist you know what i mean right yeah, absolutely. And, and no, but that's it's great that you shared that because I, I have I mean that's exactly kind of what things ended up working out the the same way for me. Um eventually, uh after the divorce, I um ended up losing the house that we had lived in together. So I went through foreclosure and I ended up going through bankruptcy uh in order to keep up with the uh the child support payments uh, because my ex-wife had uh, primary placement of our two kids. So mm-hmm. we still had joint custody, but she got them most of the time. I got them every other weekend and to her to let me stop by at least once or twice during the week just to see them for a few minutes, which I always appreciated. But yeah, so within That's about good. a three That's year really period, 
It was, it was, it was kind of her. And it was, uh, again, it was, it, it helped us start on a good foot because she recognized yeah. the fact that the girls needed their dad and wasn't trying to keep, you know, keep me away from him or things like that. Um, and so, good. yeah, within about a three, it, it is. And that's, that's something that I'm, I'm very grateful for. And it, like I said, it helped us start off well. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was, uh, one thing after another, it started with losing my dad and then going through the divorce and then bankruptcy and then foreclosure and not seeing my kids and a job change and putting on all that weight. And it was just rough for a couple of years. I was working a bunch of different jobs that I didn't like trying to find something that I did like because mm -hmm. I'd been a high school teacher. And then when I went through my divorce, I got out of teaching for a couple of years and just decided to try other things. So I, I worked as a bartender and a waiter and a firefighter and a construction worker and an insurance salesman wow. and a financial planner, you know, and I, just, <laughs> I didn't like any of it. And so um, I ended up reconnecting with a, um, a lady in my hometown whose parents I had known. I had actually worked for her parents years earlier as a lifeguard at a local swim club. And she had been, you know, she's about nine years younger than me. So she was a kid when I was a teenager. I didn't really know her. Um, mm -hmm. But now she was in college and she was coming home over the summer. And I had uh, her ex-boyfriend had been a friend of mine. He and I had coached soccer together and, and that sort of thing. She was coming home from college and she said, hey, I need to work out this summer if you'd like. I'll get up early in the morning with you and I'll go work out with you. Because at the time I was working as a shipping clerk at a manufacturing company. And I had to be at work at 7.30 each morning. So we, so all summer long, we got up five or six days a week and went and ran at the local YMCA. And so she's getting up mm -hmm. at 4.45 or 5 in the morning for three months just because. And yeah. I didn't – you know, I was pretty dense. I didn't realize that meant that she liked me um, or was interested in me. I just thought she was a really nice person, which she is, but <laughs> it was more than that. So we worked out all summer. <laughs> I ended up dropping about 40 pounds in three months, which was awesome. Um, oh I felt goodness. better. Yeah, I felt better. I looked better and I was really excited. And then she went back to college and I made uh, the mistake of dating someone else when, mm -hmm. <laughs> when she went back to school because I'm kind of an idiot. Um, and so ab about a year after that, this lady and I started dating and we've now been married for five and a half years. Um, and I give her a ton of credit because she helped turn my life around by similar to what you said your girlfriend did. She, she helped hold me accountable. She helped me eat better. She helped me exercise better. She helped me see that what I was called to do was to help other people. And that one of the best ways I could do that was by teaching. So I went back into the teaching, uh, which I love. And, um, it was just a huge turnaround. I, I owe her a tremendous debt of gratitude that I can't really ever repay because I really feel like she helped change my life. And, uh, you know, I got some support from my, my friends and my parents and my church and my, um, and so that's what I, that's where I give a lot of the credit to is, is those sort of three pillars of my faith, my family and my friends, because in the dark moments, those were the things that were there for me. Um, I can remember a week after my first wife and I separated before we ever divorced, cause we were separated for six months before we signed papers. Mm -hmm. The week after we separated, I went to a church dinner I was like a Wednesday night, six o'clock, kind of a church picnic thing. And one of my buddies from church came up to me and he said, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm just surprised to see you. Like normally when, again, we live in a, when I say small town, I mean less than 30,000 people. Oh my. I'm, everybody knows everybody, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and again, we all grew up here. And so it's not like our families didn't know each other. It was just, it's a lot. So when I show up at church, people are kind of looking at me funny, not because I shouldn't be there, but just they're surprised because normally in a small town, when you go through something like a divorce that's very public, 
you kind of hide, you know what I mean? You duck your head, you stay yeah. home, you stay out of the spotlight. And I didn't do that. I, I went to church and I, I still went out and, um, again, was trying to find other jobs and things like that. And so this buddy at church, he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to, you know, I'm here to fellowship and I'm here to enjoy being around people that I love. And he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad to see you, but I'm just surprised because most people would be staying home. And I said, well, listen, if I'm, if I can't be, you know, if I can't be comfortable going to church in a time like this, where can I be welcome? And he said, no, you're exactly right. Like, this is where you need to be. I'm just really surprised that you're here, but I'm glad that you are. And I was very thankful because my church family was very kind to my now ex-wife as we were going through the, the separation process and the divorce process. Because, again, we had two young kids and I was yes. going through a job change and, you know, moving to a different house. And um, so the bills started to pile up and they they helped us with food and they helped us with finding, you know, finding me a place to live. And um, it was just it was a tremendous comfort knowing that even in the midst of difficulty there were people that cared about us and they cared about us even though we were splitting up and instead of taking sides they remained neutral and that helped my now ex-wife and i be a little bit less angry at each other you know what i mean um i was also really blessed and this is a weird thing to say i was blessed that my parents had divorced when i was in middle school because my parents split up when i was 13 and my Mom started dating a man about a year later that I still call my stepdad, even though they never actually got married. And my parents had a better divorce than a lot of marriages that I've seen. They were they were good to each other. We lived with mom, but we stayed with dad every other weekend. But dad came and picked us up for school every day at mom's house. So I got to see him every single day. Um, and they were polite to each other. We still had, you know, we still had Thanksgivings together. And so like a couple of years after my parents divorced at Thanksgiving was my mom and my dad and my mom's boyfriend and my mom's boyfriend's dad and my mom's mom and all the kids together. And it was just bizarre, but I mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't know that it was weird. That was just Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then I got to college and I would share that story with people like, yeah, we're going home for Thanksgiving. You know, who's going to be there? Oh, well, my mom and my stepdad and my dad and my, wait, what? Your dad comes to your family's Thanksgiving? <laughs> yeah, we still sit around the same dining room. Actually, my dad and my stepdad became pretty good friends and my dad became good friends with my stepdad's dad. And, you know, like mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was weird. And so when I went through my own divorce, I had a really unique example to look to. And so I was, even after my dad had passed away, I was able to ask myself in this situation, how would dad handle this? And, and that was a big help to me as well. But again, even with all of those good things, I still struggle with depression. I still put on a whole lot of weight, you know, eating all that food. I still struggle with, you know, what do I want to do with my life now? And, uh, it took, it took a couple of years before I really sorted those things out. And it took a lot of, um, again, it took me seeing a counselor for a while, took me taking some depression medication for a while. Um, it took me struggling with a lot of bitterness and resentment toward my ex-wife. It took me dealing with uh, my own anger issues in a few different ways, because until those things were settled, I wasn't really able to move forward. I was just, you know, trying to keep my head above water. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that a lot of your listeners can identify with. Absolutely, man. Um, do you have you ever uh, read any David Goggins books? Mm, doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so I'm reading it currently right now. Mm -hmm. um, I've been like kind of <laughs> back and forth with this book, but it's called "Can't Hurt Me," mm -hmm. and basically, the whole premise of the book is 
so you know how I told you whenever uh, my girlfriend kind of gave me that talking to, she kind of was real stern with me, like, you're going to have to be a man one day, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like, grow mm-hmm. up. And, and something that caught me by surprise in the book is I know a lot of the times whenever we get down on ourselves, we tend to try to look up like uplifting quotes mm-hmm. or uplifting sayings to help pick up our spirits and all this like um, a star doesn't shine without the dark kind of, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of cliche sayings. And th- that's something that I actually, you know, was onto for a while. And then I came across this book and this is just for yourself or maybe anyone else out there. It basically um, in the second, the end of the second chapter, <coughs> he talks about the mirror challenge and he was talking about um, whenever he realized like he wanted to go into the air force, but he was flunked in school. He was reading at like a third grade level and he was in his senior year of high school um, go, transitioning from junior to senior year. And he got that letter from the school saying, if he doesn't make a drastic change, you know, he's going to flunk out. Right. And he was like, it doesn't matter. Cause I'll be in the air force. And then his mom was like, well, you can't take the, be in the right. air force. Cause you can't even pass the ASVABs. Yep. And so what he did is that night, I guess, um, went into his mirror, shaved his head, shaved himself clean every single day, made a ritual of talking, basically talking shit to himself. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, you're fat. You're st-. like, you know what? I'm going to actually pull up the little spot real quick because I'm not too far from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like I said, he just he was just talking down to himself in uh, in the mirror, calling himself out just because he realized he's like, nobody's nobody's going to be there for him. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody's pushing him to do anything. So what it says right here, it says, look at you. I said, uh, what do you think the Air Force wants? You're punk ass. You stand for nothing. You're an embarrassment. He, then he talks about how he shaved his face. He's like, you're one dumb motherfucker. You read like a third grader. You're a joke. You never tried hard at anything in your life besides basketball. And you have goals? That's hilarious. And so anyways, he's just going through this tandem. Wow. Of just breaking himself, breaking himself down. And the whole premise behind it, you know, usually – Especially whenever you you talk about like self healing, right? We talk about going and speaking positive over ourselves, right. speaking enlightening messages over ourselves, and that's something that, especially when it comes down to like daily affirmations, something that I still like to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what he is saying in in this book is basically like, if you realize that you're you're messing up, right? Like we were both in the same boat where we gained weight and it wasn't necessary. You can't be like, Hey, I need to lose a couple pounds. Basically what he's saying is like, you know, you messed up, you got in your own way. So be real with yourself. Like, be honest, like, Hey man, you're getting fat, do something about it. You know what I'm saying? And that's something like, I think maybe just right now because of the, some of the adversities that I'm facing is something that I think I needed to hear because there's too many times where I felt like, maybe I was just too soft on myself. Right. Maybe if I was just a little bit harder on myself, I would have gotten more done. And so reading this book, like I said, the whole premise behind it is to harden your mind and to make you a little bit tougher, make you a little bit more confident, but all through like that brutal honesty. It's real raw. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's an interesting sort of a tactic. That's one of the kind of the tough love leadership styles that you hear that not as many people respond as well to today, but, 
sometimes it's necessary, oh, absolutely. you know, sometimes, absolutely. but yeah, but you know, sometimes it's necessary. Like you can't always just offer rewards. Sometimes people need a good swift kick in the butt. And I know that I've been, you know, there've been times when I've needed a good swift kick in the butt. And that was one, that was one of the things I remember my dad doing for me when I went to college. Um, I went to play college soccer at a little uh, Presbyterian college called Covenant. And uh, the team was really good and I was okay. Um, and I didn't realize, I thought I was really good until I got there and realized how good college soccer players actually were. <laughs> and during, you know, during preseason, it's July and August in uh, North Georgia. And so it was just okay. brutally hot and we're doing three a day sessions. And I was, I graduated high school early. So I'm 17 years old. I'm playing 22 year old grown men. I've already mentioned that I'm five foot three. I thought that I was yeah. in shape. I wasn't in the kind of shape I needed to be in. And I'm just getting my butt kicked every day, three times a day. And, and so I'm calling home every night, just in tears talking with my mom. Cause that's, you know, that's what moms are for. You call home and mom gives you sympathy and whatever. And after about the fourth yeah. night of it, my dad answered the phone and I thought, wait a minute, I called mom's house. They've been divorced for four <laughs> years. Like what is dad doing answering the phone? And I, I start in on it and he just says, son, stop it. And I'm like, what? And he says, listen, you committed to play on this team, right? Yes, sir. They gave you some scholarship money, right? Yes, sir. He said, then you need to shut up. You're whining. You're like, you need to stop your whining. And you need to figure out a way to make this work for at least this season. Now, if you want to stop playing after that, that's up to you. But you committed to this team for this season. You don't have a choice. Don't call home like that yeah. again. Click. And I thought, what? And he, and he hung up. And it was one of the, I, I, I couldn't, but I just stared at the phone. This is back when phones were connected to the wall. I just stared at the phone uh -huh. going, what in the world just happened? Did my dad really just say that and hang up on me? But looking back on it, it was one of the best things he ever did for me because I did find a, a, a way to make it work. I had dreamed about playing college soccer from the time I was 10 or 11 years old. And because it was hard, I was going to risk giving that up. Absolutely not. And I didn't play a ton that year, but I played some and the team was really good. And we won a conference championship and we finished in, you know, in the top 25 in the country for NAI soccer. And I got to be a part of that. And I got to live my dream mm -hmm. of playing college sports, mostly because my dad hung up on me. <laughs> and so, yeah, That's crazy. yeah, sometimes we need that tough love and it's never fun, um, but you know, sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention. There's a, there's a great quote in, um, a book called, uh, I strongly recommend this book. It's called The Problem of Pain. It's written by C.S. Lewis. He wrote two books about mm. pain. One is called The Problem of Pain, and it's almost clinical. It's very unemotional, and it's really good. Um, and the other book he wrote about pain was when his wife actually died of cancer, um, and uh, it's called A Grief Observed. And it's one of the most emotionally raw books that I've ever read. And so I strongly recommend reading one and then the other because it's the same guy looking at pain from two very different perspectives. Um, but in, in the problem of pain, he says something along the lines of, um, you know, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what he's talking about there is there are sometimes when the only way to get our attention is through pain because we're, mm. we're comfortable enough where we are that even though the discomfort is increasing, it's really not enough to make us do anything about it. If I put on two or three pounds, not a big deal. If I put on 40 pounds and it hurts to walk up a set of stairs, now I have an issue. And, yeah. you know, I'm 37 now. I still love to go play pickup soccer. And when I was 190 pounds, it hurt. I mean, imagine, you know, imagine being back in high school and you take every school book you own, put it in your backpack, put it on backwards and then go for a run. 
that's what it was like to have 40 extra pounds on. You know what I mean? It, it hurt mm-hmm. my knees. It hurt my ankles. It hurt my back. And it, it wasn't until I realized how badly I was hurting myself that I was really willing to make a change and do something about it. And so, so I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. This is completely unrelated. And it's uh, typically this happens a lot. You're going to hear me spew out a question because my mind's very sporadic and it kind of just works that way with the scripture you just quoted do you think that has any relation to the whole pandemic situation going on what do you mean the uh the the pain is god's megaphone to rouse a deaf world i don't know i always hesitate to i hesitate to credit or blame god for earthly things like that because i don't I don't I don't know if God does that anymore. I don't know if God, you know, lets plagues loose. That's more of an Old Testament kind of a thing. I don't remember seeing that sort of thing in the New Testament. Um, Plus, and, and, you know, I've been called this before and that's okay, but I don't necessarily like to give Christians the name of being a religious oddball. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. coronavirus is God's judgment on and then fill in the blank with whatever pet peeve sin you don't like. Well, I don't I don't think so. No, I think that God allows things in our lives to get our attention. I don't think that he necessarily causes them. And, you know, I'd I'd love to have a theological discussion if that's uh, something your audience would be interested in. Um, But the short version is I I don't believe that God causes those things. I think he allows them because we live in a broken, sinful world. And sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention. I don't think that God is behind the coronavirus. I really don't. What I have, well, of you course, know, I'm not saying, yeah, like, no. you know, blame God right. for it. I'm just curious if like those kind of things not are they caused by, but do they happen because, you know, what I don't I'm know what I what I do know right. is that a lot of people um, will see positives out of this in the long run. I mean, if you look, you're not going to see a lot of them on the news because good news doesn't sell. But there there are a lot of people going above and beyond regular altruism right now. And what's happening is there's a whole lot of people who are going out of their way to show love to strangers that they wouldn't normally do. And that's incredible. Um, Yeah. You know what I mean? And so what you see is in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering – you see a whole lot of people who are reaching out and showing love and showing grace. And that's a, again, that's a very, very powerful thing. Um, and I think that's worth paying attention to. I, you know, I share this in my history classes all the time. I sell the students, I say, listen, um, the reason the media is the way it is, is because good news is boring. That's just the truth. I said, listen, if a boy scout mm-hmm. helps an old lady across the street, nobody cares. But if a Boy Scout shoves that same old lady in front of a city bus, that's going to be front page news, right? Yeah. And and that's that just it, and it's because again I believe that's because of our sinful human natures. Um, the uh, you know the German or sort of psychological term for it is Schadenfreude, where we rejoice in the sufferings of other people. As long as whatever bad is happening isn't happening to us directly, we enjoy watching other people suffer. That's why we like to cheer when the sports teams we hate lose, even if our team lost too. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a terrible thing. Um, but that's the way that we are, and so it's easy to get caught up in the bad news that we hear. Where if we look much more closely, if we look closer to home, a lot of what we will see are positive stories. Right? We'll see stories of people in our neighborhood or in our hometown or in our home state helping each other. Now you're not going to, again, you're not going to see a ton of that in the national media, 
but you'll see it in the local stuff. You'll see it in your friend's Facebook posts. You'll see it on local Twitter feeds, that kind of thing. And so it's worth yeah. it's worth reminding people that when things look that bad at a national level, that doesn't mean they actually are that bad, um, especially at your local level. And it's, it's worth reminding ourselves of that. Absolutely. Nice. I, I like your outtake on that. No, I just, I had to ask. Just yeah, it's a totally uh, fair question. It's just awesome. Awesome. Cool. So let's go ahead and circle back mm-hmm. around to the things that you started doing uh, to kind of get yourself out of the rut. Like I passed the, you know, therapy, mm-hmm. passed the medication. Once things started looking up and you started seeing a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel, what are, um, and this had been after, I believe you said that your uh, wife had gone back to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, so she went back to college and I started dating somebody else, which was not one of the best decisions I've ever made. Not, not, not because she's not a good person or whatever, but just anyway, it was a poor decision on my part. Um, yeah, but what I started to do was to reach out to people around me and look to get mm-hmm. back into the activities that I had gotten away from when I had been happy before I had been depressed. You know what I mean? Um, I had gotten mm-hmm. away from playing pickup soccer. I had gotten away from reading books that I enjoy. I had gotten away from doing a job that I enjoyed. And so I tried to recapture some of those things. And again, a lot of that changed when I started dating the woman that I'm married to now, because she encouraged me to go after things that I enjoyed rather than just trying to get the bills paid. And so again, I mm-hmm. because of her, I went back into teaching. Uh, because of her, I have exercised better and eaten more healthily. Um, her family, even before we started dating, her family was very good to me. They would invite me up for dinner uh, when she was in town, and they gave me work when I needed work. And uh, they were just, you know, they were very kind to me at a time when it would have been very easy not to. And that was a big help. Um, but a large part of it is good habits. And you, you'll hear this from anyone who talks about life transformation. A lot of it starts with your daily habits. Are you getting enough rest? Are you eating healthy food? Are you being active? Whether that's you know going and busting it at the gym or whether that's just getting outside and going for a walk three or five days a week. But we know those are things we need to do. But when we're in the midst of a dark place, when we're in the midst of depression, most of us just don't want to get up off the couch and go for a walk. We know we'd feel better if we did. We know we'd be happier with ourselves if we did. We just don't want to. And so one of the greatest things is to find someone who will gently hold you accountable. Again, whether that's a friend, whether that's a family member, whether that's someone that you end up dating and marrying, um, but find someone that you are comfortable enough with calling you out. Find someone that you are humble enough toward that when they call you out, you're not just going to respond in anger and allow them to help you. Because a large part of the reason people don't want help is we – are too prideful. We don't want to admit we need the help. Yeah. And that's just going to, that's just going to hurt you more. Um, and so I would encourage people to be willing to ask for help, whether that's going to see a counselor, whether that's talking about maybe getting on some medication temporarily or, you know, permanently, depending on what you need, what your brain's doing, whether that is finding a workout partner or, um, you know, a buddy to read books with and talk about books that you enjoy, but find someone that you trust that cares about you enough to hold you accountable and start making little changes. You don't, you don't have to change every single habit in your world in a day. That I, in fact, I don't recommend that. If you, again, if you read any books about that sort of thing, they'll tell you trying to make giant changes isn't going to work. There was a great book that came out a couple of years ago. Um, I believe it's called Atomic Habits. 
Uh, and I'm trying to remember the author's name. I think I've seen it before. I yeah, it's. I haven't read it, but I yeah, have seen I, it. I think it's by James Clear. It talks about the subtitle is something about tiny changes, remarkable results, and that's the idea. You don't change everything all in one day. You change one tiny thing, and you make that change consistent. Then you change another tiny thing, and over the course of a week and a month and three months and six months and a year, you're a drastically different person because you made small incremental changes that were actually able to be consistently uh, done. And, uh, and and it starts with having accountability because there are going to be days when you just don't want to do it. And me being the shallow male that I am, there were plenty of days I did not want to get up and go work out. But if my, if my workout mm-hmm. partner is an attractive female who I find out is interested in me, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go work out. And that's, right. again, that's completely <laughs> shallow and extremely selfish, and I am guilty as charged. But it was it was what motivated me at the time. You know what I mean? Just being just being real. Um, and so find something that motivates you um, and something that is going to, again, allow you to be held accountable and and go with it. Um, and that's, so that's the that's the first thing is uh, find some accountability and start making small changes. Um, the second thing is don't beat yourself up when you stumble because you're going to. I don't care what you try to do. You're you're gonna you're gonna have days where you backslide a little bit. There are days when I eat too much. There are days when I still don't exercise when I should. But in general, I am much healthier now than when I was at 193 pounds. Uh, and and you know and so you've got to give yourself grace. You've got to give yourself forgiveness for when you screw up. Just start again tomorrow. You know, write today off and start again tomorrow. So those are kind of the the first steps that I would encourage people who are struggling right now, that's what I would encourage you to do is find someone to help hold you accountable. And then uh, don't beat yourself up when you stumble because you're going to. I think on the same note, I think in this generation, at least in this society, there's sometimes like there, there needs to be a silver Mm -hmm. lining of, you know, not being too hard on yourself when you stumble. It's okay to make mistakes, but I do think that oftentimes than not, people will write something off and be like, oh, well, I'll, you know what I mean? And they're not necessarily holding themselves as accountable as they could because they're making that excuse saying, oh, well, I mean, next week's coming around. I, I can eat right. this cake right now if they're trying to lose weight. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think people sometimes like, I think a lot of the a bigger reason why people don't get a lot of things done is because of the excuses they make for their downfalls. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a fine line between not beating yourself up, but also um, not uh, like you said, not, not being willing to take responsibility. Cause that's the other thing that um, mm-hmm. I, I like to share with people in my speaking and in my coaching is I actually just wrote a guest blog post about this for a lady this morning. One of the single biggest things you can do, is take responsibility for where you are. It may not be 100% your fault. My, my divorce was not 100% my fault. But as long as I was playing the victim and blaming my ex-wife, that meant that she had the power to keep me from moving forward. Because unless, unless mm-hmm. she did what I thought was right, I was just going to stay in my anger and bitterness, where once I started ac- accepting responsibility, now I have the power to change. When you... When you accept responsibility for where you are, you empower yourself to make the changes necessary to transform your life. As, as long as you're blaming other people, then you don't have the power to make any kind of positive difference. Once you take 
responsibility, you can now move forward. And that's a huge, huge shift in the mindset. Absolutely. No, I agree completely. So let's go ahead and I'm going to let you wrap things up for the next five minutes or so. Um, any last pending advice, any last maybe a, a story, um, something that you can share with the listeners that can give them some hope if they're we're in a situation like, you know, that we've all been in where we're down on our luck, whether it be going through a divorce, going through a hard breakup, or even just facing, you know, stress because right now we're in a situation where some people may not be able to pay mm-hmm. their bills or they're not necessarily eating everything that they should be right. because the stores are out of the food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, without wanting to just share a bunch of platitudes that may or may not actually be helpful to people. Um, there's, there's a couple of things that I would share. And one of them is that there is always hope. Um, and this, this may come across like a platitude, but I don't mean it that way. One of my favorite books is mm-hmm. uh, the Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, I've read that book at least either read or listened to the audiobook at least once a year for the past 19 years. And it's my all time favorite book. And I'm probably going to start reading it again in the next couple of days just because I love it. Um, but there's a great quote in that book where he says, uh, where there's life, there's hope. And that's what that's one thing that's easy to forget when you're in the middle of the pain, when you're in the middle of the darkness. It really does feel hopeless. But the truth is, as long as you are breathing, there is the possibility of life getting better. And that's that's a comfort to hang on to when, it, you know, you may not believe it every moment of every day. You think, how could it possibly get any worse? And I don't see any chance of it getting better. But the truth is, there is a chance that it's going to get better. And you have the power to start moving in that direction, even if it's just a tiny step. You know what I mean? So when I'm eating giant amounts of junk food, maybe the step I take is that today – I only drink two beers instead of the four that I really wanted to have. And that's not a big step, mm-hmm. but it's a step in the right direction. And so maybe a couple of days later, I only drink the one beer because there was a time in my life when, when I was in the middle of all that depression stuff, I don't, I think there was at least a three month period where I did not go to sleep at night without drinking at least two or three beers. Now I couldn't drink any more than that because I have a very low tolerance and I never wanted to get drunk because there's a very fine line between drunk and getting sick <clears throat> for me. And so, um, but, but I needed some kind of alcohol to help take the edge off. And that, again, it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something that I'm not even sure it's something my kids know about just yet at 13 and 15. I don't really want to, um, necessarily share that with them right now, but probably before they go to college, but it's one of those things where I can remember the feeling of, I would love to go to sleep, but I haven't had a beer. So I cannot. And, um, that was a that was a scary place to be because I didn't want to be dependent on that. And so what I would again, what I would share with people is when you're in that moment, hold on to the hope that things can get better and that you have the power to start moving in that direction. Uh, again, I, I don't mean that as a platitude. I mean that as something very sincerely to hang on to where there is life. There is hope. And that's a that's a very powerful thing, because that means that tomorrow can be better than today, even if it's just a tiny bit better. And if you make every day a tiny bit better, now you're going to start actually seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to start seeing some drastic changes or differences in your world. So that's the first thing that I would say is just hold on to hope wherever it is that you find it. 
again, I found a lot of hope in my faith. I would love to chat with any of your listeners about anything we've talked about. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very outspoken Christian. I teach at a little small Christian school. If that's not your theological bent, that's okay. I'm not I'm not trying to convert you. I'm not trying to proselytize, but I am telling you my faith is one of the things that kept me hopeful because I knew that even in the midst of pain, I knew that things could get better. And so I would encourage people to uh, to look for hope, to look for joy, to look for inspiration um, and start in the small things. Right. It doesn't have to be a gigantic life changing. I'm going to get this dream job. Otherwise, I'm going to stay depressed forever. It might just be. I was able to go and kick a soccer ball with a buddy for 20 minutes today. And I hadn't done that in two months and it was wonderful, you know, because that's something I've enjoyed kicking a soccer ball since I was three years old. And I was able to do that. Like just to, actually just last week, um, my girls were here. They, they go back and forth a week with me, a week with her mom. Um, and uh, my girls were here and we had grilled out some hamburgers and we went in the backyard and we threw a baseball around for about 45 minutes, my wife and my, my girls and me. And that's something that I've dreamed about since they were little kids because I grew up playing baseball. My dad was a college baseball player. Like I can remember playing catch with my dad maybe a month before he died. That was one of the last things we did together. Um, And uh, Mm -hmm. one of the, actually one of the last things he ever taught me was how to keep a box score for a baseball game. And he, he showed me a, um, some box scores. He still had left over a notebook of box scores from when he played baseball in college. And he had me look at him after he taught me how to keep one. He said, look at this one. Tell me what, tell me what, catches your eye. And I looked at it and I studied it for a minute. I went, holy crap, dad, this is a no hitter. He said, yeah, I caught that game. I thought, oh man, he got to be the catcher and a no hitter. Like that's incredible. Right. And so baseball is something Mm. my dad and I shared. And for me to be able to share that with my wife and kids, if you had told me 10 years ago in the middle of that depression that I would have had this moment that I got to have last week, I never would have believed you. Right. Because it didn't seem possible, but it is possible. Right. And so I'm, I'm remarried. I'm, I'm happier than I've ever been. And I got to play catch in the backyard in beautiful sunshine with two teenage daughters and my wife. And for me, it just doesn't get much better than that. That's good. That's, that's amazing. I mean, your life's turned around come from where it could be. And I'm pretty sure back then, you know, in those that scenario that you were in. You probably wouldn't have thought that you'd be where you're no, Absolutely not. I never, never could have seen this. But again, I held on to the hope that it could be at least better than it was. And I'm, I'm really thankful that not only did it get better, it, again, it's 180 degrees different, better than I could have imagined. And sometimes that little yep, bit of hope absolutely. Really takes. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Joel, I appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Um, I'm sure the listeners are going to love your story and value from it. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Is, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And again, I would love to connect with any of your listeners if they want to reach out to me. You know, come by my websites, check me out on social media, connect with me on there, shoot me an email, whatever. I would love to try to be of service and try to inspire people in any way I can. Well, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, just in case we have somebody out there that needs to, needs to. Yeah, thank you. So I'm on, um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn under my name, Joel W. Hallbaker. You can also find my leadership and blended family information on uh, a website called reallifeleading.com. You can find my speaker information at my name, joelwhallbaker.com. I also have a bunch of blended family resources at another website called stepdadding.com. 
So whatever you're looking for, check those resources out. Shoot me an email. Use the contact Joel form, whatever. And I would love, love, love to try to encourage and inspire any of your listeners that want to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, once again, Joel, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. You do the same. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Put your head on.